Chaos at the border. Elected officials who don't know where they are, why they're there, or what their job is. Officials who laugh like hyenas when questioned. And when they answer, it reads like science fiction. How do you navigate this sewage? With the ship of truth. TNN. The Truth News Network. And your captain today is Dan Newman. Honestly, I'm your captain every day here at TNN Live. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the show two days before Thanksgiving. I know everybody has big plans, family and friends get together. This is a great time of year. I always love the end of fall, Thanksgiving, and it segues right into December and Christmas, then New Year's. Great celebrations. We have a great celebration. All of our family live within a proximity of Shreveport, Louisiana, and of course our kids and six grandkids are all here. It's amazing when you have the opportunity to put family together and how rich it is and how enjoyable it is. I'm blessed. I know everybody listening isn't as blessed as I am with family, but I want to say, instead of looking around and talking about or thinking about how tough it is, what's going on, and I know many of you have uh, real problems. I know people that are very, very ill right now this Thanksgiving. It's hard to put those circumstances behind you. But do this. Try it just for one day. Just consciously, all day on Thanksgiving Day, just begin to think about the good things you've had in your life, that you have in your life right now, and don't concentrate on the bad stuff. It'll make your Thanksgiving go a whole lot better. Well, we have a busy, busy show today. It's Steve Baker Day. Yep, he is in Washington, D.C., and he's got some big news to bring us coming out of that Oath Keepers trial, and we'll be with him at the top of the hour, the 10 o'clock hour, our second hour today. We'll get the details there. And I think you probably know Dr. Eric Naputi. Remember, we had him on last week. He's the guy, the doctor in Springfield, Missouri, that his whole life has been blasted. The DOJ attacked him like no other attack we've seen from the Department of Justice. They have popped him for $500 million. 500, a half a billion dollars. I wonder if they'll take a check. (laughs) I doubt the check would uh, clear the bank. But what's this all about? He was popped during COVID, and the reason he got popped was he was very visibly, he has videos, he's all over social media, media, YouTube, his uh, Facebook and Twitter pages, he's been all over it, promoting using vitamin D to take COVID-19 head on and how it's been really successful in his practice, which is really, really big. I mean, a really big practice, very successful. And because he was broadcasting that message in the face of Dr. Fauci and in the face of the COVID-19 vaccines, they went after him with a vengeance. And guess what? We had him on last Friday and over the weekend, a very sophisticated research paper came out 
that had 100,000 tests in controlled trials using, you guessed it, vitamin D to attack COVID-19. And it is successful. And when they compared it with the successes of the COVID vaccines, it did just as good or better. And with none of the side effects that we are seeing in horrible situations around the globe that are coming in many cases as a direct result of the vaccinations. I talked to Dr. Naputi this morning. He's excited. He will be here next Tuesday at uh, the bottom of the first hour, about 9.30, 9.35. He's got an interview before us. But he's going to come back and give us all the details and, of course, talk to us about how that's going to impact him. Because, um, you know, when you got the federal government standing out there and they're looking to you for a $500,000 repay, <laughs> I don't know many people on earth that can just say, okay, I'll take care of that. And I'm pretty sure he's not one of those people that could. So where are we going today? Where are we going? We're going to talk about some important things that uh, have come up the last few days. I'm sure you've probably heard that the Republican Party is taking over control of the majority in the House of Representatives on January 3rd. And they have queued up a whole bunch of things, a lot of them having to do with investigations of um, all kinds of wrongdoing that have been laying out there for the last few years because nobody has had the authority in Congress to go after anybody investigating wrongdoing. That is about to change. After a four-year reign, one of these guys that needs to be investigated, four years at the top of the heap in the House, California Democrat Representative Adam Schiff's days as chair of the very powerful House Intelligence Committee, marked by abuse after abuse, grotesque politicization, are finally numbered. But it's not just Schiff's chairmanship that is headed out the door with this incoming Republican majority. It's his seat on that committee altogether. On Sunday, over the weekend, GOP House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, who's probably going to be the speaker, he made clear a trio of liberal lawmakers are on the chopping block. After the chamber took the unprecedented step of dictating minority committee appointments under Democrat rule, Georgia Republican Marjorie Taylor Greene was kicked off her committees just a month after she was inaugurated in Congress. Should you become Speaker of the House in January, what are you going to do in terms of Democrats that you have on that important committee and others? That was Maria Bartiromo on Sunday asking uh, Kevin McCarthy that. You've talked in the past about removing Ilhan Omar. You've talked about removing Adam Schiff, about Eric Swalwell. Will you deliver? Back in January, McCarthy told Breitbart News, each of those would be removed from their respective positions on the Intelligence Committee, Foreign Affairs Committee, if he were elected Speaker with the Republican majority. McCarthy told Maria, I'll keep that promise. He'd already been calling for Swalwell's resignation from the House Intelligence Committee, and he did so. Remember, details surfaced of 
Swalwell's very close relationship with a since-vanished Chinese spy? You remember that? Close relationship, yeah. As close as you can possibly get. Eric Swalwell cannot get a security clearance in the public sector. Did you know that? He can't. And it's pretty much because of his involvement with this Chinese woman that he just gave her access to everything. Why would we ever give him a security clearance in the secrets to America? That's McCarthy asking that. And then Adam Schiff, who had lied to the American public time and time again. We will not allow him to be on the Intel Committee either, McCarthy said. Schiff was appointed ranking member of the House Intelligence Committee six months before Donald Trump descended on the golden escalator back in 2015. By the time Trump got the White House, Schiff had become the Democrats' point man on their prime conspiracy. There wasn't just one. There was a multitude of them, and Schiff rode horse, and he was the chief on every one of them in order to take down the president, undermine democracy, and they used the Russia hoax. In fact, Schiff was the original Russia hoaxer who claimed over and over again for years that he has evidence that Trump colluded with Russia. In fact, he still maintains that. Why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he bring it forward if he really had it? Schiff used his perch on that committee, the Intelligence Committee, to foment fear that the new Republican president, Donald Trump, was in fact a Russian agent who colluded with the Kremlin for command of the Oval Office. He did so through leaks and testimony to the media, which published claims unchecked that made Schiff's office an apparent ground zero for the false and damaging narrative of Russia collusion. On this show, on this very show, we have played numerous times a little five, maybe six-minute segment from a fake radio show in which it was supposed to be two Russian people that were doing this radio show, and they fake-called Schiff's office claiming to have nasty evidence on Donald Trump, and they told Schiff all about it and asked him if he wanted it, and of course he said, sure. You remember it. You probably heard it here or somewhere else, but it was out there. The Justice Department appointed a special counsel to probe whether Trump was indeed guilty of collusion. Two years, two years, with unlimited resources, would eventually come up short of finding even one person on the Trump campaign, let alone the president, that colluded with the Kremlin. Schiff responded to Trump's exoneration by castigating House Republicans, foreshadowing more to emerge that would implicate Trump in an apparent crime. I got to be honest with you. I don't ever remember anybody in government being investigated the way Donald Trump has been. And I certainly don't remember anybody that has investigated at this level where they didn't find anything wrong. I mean, he's squeaky clean. That's unthinkable. (laughs) I don't think I could even pass something like that. In the coming weeks and months, New information will continue to be exposed through enterprising journalism 
indictments by the special counsel or continued investigative work by committee Democrats and our counterparts in the Senate. Schiff said that in a press release. And each time this new information becomes public, Republicans will be held accountable for abandoning a critical investigation of such vital national importance. Schiff was right on the money when he claimed more would emerge surrounding the politicized investigations of Trump. But it's not Republicans who would end up requiring accountability. Subsequent revelations from courtrooms, the Federalist reporting, and the DOJ Inspector General found gross misconduct by the FBI deep state actors themselves working in cahoots with who? Russian operatives to undermine the Trump presidential administration. The FBI even paid for Russian disinformation to frame President Trump. In a 19 report from the DOJ Inspector General, it showed that Schiff himself had been lying about Russian collusion since the inception of the Russia collusion hoax. Booting Schiff from his gig as chairman of the Intelligence Committee is just the beginning of the accountability. Cutting his time short on the committee altogether is the bare minimum. And I got to be honest with you, Kevin McCarthy, remember, he is a representative from California, as is Adam Schiff. So they both don't like each other, and they both have access to grind. Kevin McCarthy now, as Speaker of the House, his axe is going to be a little bigger and a little shorter. And I don't think just getting kicked off a committee is going to be the final thing that happens to Adam Schiff. So once the Democrats' collusion narrative fell apart, despite being bolstered by the Beltway Press Corps, government bureaucrats and lawmakers from both parties on Capitol Hill, with all that still, Schiff took the lead role and amplifying another fabricated scandal to accomplish the top item of their policy agenda, Trump's impeachment. 2019, Schiff became chair of the Intelligence Committee when Democrats reclaimed the House majority. By the fall of that year, Democrats drew articles of impeachment to indict Trump, and they did so on the abuse of power and obstruction of Congress with claims he illegally harnessed U.S. military aid to extract concessions from the corrupt foreign government in Ukraine. Trump, the story went, he withheld $400 million in military aid from Ukraine until President Volodymyr Zelensky pledged to investigate his own country's role in the Russia hoax, which did irreparable harm to the U.S., that investigation would inevitably center around Hunter Biden, son of now President Joe Biden, who raked in tens of thousands of dollars in excess compensation for a seat on the board of that Ukrainian energy company, Burisma Holdings, despite no prior industry experience. Schiff's presided over the House impeachment hearings as if withholding hundreds of millions of taxpayer dollars in foreign aid until its recipients act in American interest was even a bad thing, let alone worthy of impeachment. As chair of that committee, Schiff's deposition hearings were held behind closed doors. That was, I think, one of the things that would usually happen when a president 
is uh, he's being charged with something this egregious. The committee selectively leaked snippets of testimony to amplify their own narratives to their media lapdogs. You remember that? And by the way, Schiff was seen when there was a break in this committee hearing. He was seen almost every time out in the hallway on a cell phone. And most everybody knew that he was the leak from his own committee. In fact, leaking the Intelligence Committee became a favorite practice of Adam Schiff, whose habitual leaks made way uncritically into the pages of the New York Times. When he wasn't leaking, Schiff was making up his own evidence. (laughs) And he did it to promote the Democrats' fabricated narratives. In September of that year, 2019, he created his own transcript of the phone call between Trump and Zelensky, which was supposed to be the smoking gun that warranted impeachment. In his own redition, Schiff framed Trump as someone demanding a favor for the president never actually requested, but he offered the media a storyline. The press went and ran with it, slicing and dicing Trump's words to fit the pro-impeachment narrative. Over the course of the first Trump impeachment saga, Schiff also flip-flopped on demanding testimony from the whistleblower who reported details of the presidential phone call to Schiff's office on Capitol Hill. We're in touch with counsel and look forward to the whistleblower's testimony as soon as this week. Schiff wrote that in a September 24, 2019 tweet. In fact, Schiff demanded the whistleblower's testimony repeatedly until details became public that the whistleblower had coordinated with the California lawmaker. Schiff, in discussions that were omitted from the official whistleblower process, it was then that Schiff moved to stop that testimony. He went on to be an impeachment manager, litigating the case for Trump's removal in the upper chamber. Trump was ultimately acquitted of all charges by the Senate only to be peached, impeached again a year later in a circus trial over the Capitol riot on January 6. Schiff himself has become a January 6th hoaxer. He's remained laser-focused on Trump's criminal conviction even after the president left office. True to form, Adam Schiff and member also of the select committee on January 6th went on CNN in June as the panel proceeded with summer show trials to foreshadow evidence of culpability that never showed up. We'll show evidence of the president's involvement in this scheme, Schiff said. He was talking about the plans Trump openly supported to halt the certification of the electoral college votes on that day. January 6, 2021, as if it was a cover-up for something illegal. Never mind that Democrats objected to certification in years like 2001, 2005, 2017. They got up, and all, not all of them, but number numerous of them got up and made motions to throw out the results of the Electoral College. They don't want us to remember that. And Donald Trump didn't even do that, didn't get that far. Oh, my gosh. We got to impeach him because he thought about it. (laughs) 
Schiff refused to reveal any evidence he had. However, he didn't want to get ahead of the upcoming hearing, he said. It was routine commentary from Adam Schiff, who's been at the center of practically every fabricated scandal against Trump since the pair began to emerge into the national spotlight back in 2015. Schiff's work on the uh, January 6th probe, which wrapped up its hearings this fall with nothing to show, highlights how dishonest Adam Schiff has been in his tenure in Congress. Just recently in December, Schiff doctored text messages between GOP Ohio Representative Jim Jordan and former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. Schiff doctored them. He changed the verbiage in them. He manipulated messages presented in an official hearing to expose one lawmaker pressing the vice president to unilaterally deny certification of the Electoral College votes as unconstitutional. The message, however, actually came from Washington attorney and former Department of Defense Inspector General Joseph Schmitz and was merely forwarded by the Ohio congressman. The message, that message, which Schiff took out of context with added punctuation to make it appear complete and illustrated with a cooked-up graphic was part of a four-page document that outlined Schmidt's legal arguments for VP Mike Pence's authority to object to Electoral College certification from a handful of states. The document was published publicly ahead of January 6th on everylegalvote.com. January 6th committee even conceded that Schiff's messages were manipulated. All of this just rolls right in to what Kevin McCarthy is going to do. And let me just let me just make a prediction for you. When on January 3rd, Kevin McCarthy will become the Speaker of the House going forward, he's not only going to do away with Adam Schiff's chairmanship of that committee, he's going to kick him off of both of those committees. And I promise you, he's going to do it in a very public fashion. And to be honest with you, I know it's a personal thing. They're both Californians. Maybe, oh, maybe McCarthy should do it very quietly and honorably. But the Republican Party members, Republicans around the nation, they don't want it to happen that way. They want him to be sent running with his tail tucked between his legs. And I got to be honest with you. I'm one of those people that would like to see that too, and I think it needs to happen. Papa John is not interested in quality. He's obsessed with it. Because Papa John's a pizza maker. It's what he does. That's why you've got Papa's Quality Guarantee, signed by the man himself. Love your pizza, or we'll deliver another absolutely free. It's my guarantee. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. And right now, save 25% when you spend 25 pounds or more online. I'm Chad Hall, and I'm here with the first ever Silverado ZR2. 
This is probably the first time you've seen this truck, but I've been racing a prototype version for over a year. We just inspired this pre-production truck you see behind me. Let's go see what it'll do. Copy. It's got phenomenal power, acceleration, good ground clearance, skid protection, and you've got the Multimatic GSSV shocks, so it's just gonna be that much more of a fun truck. You wanna go a little faster? Go for it. Copy. It's an amazing truck. You're gonna wanna get your hands on one. Here's the latest traffic report. Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running and Modesto Auto and Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts at Modesto Auto and Truck Parts, 924 G Street in downtown Modesto. 529-8342. 529-8342. In a world of weapons-grade stupidity, your defense is the truth. TNN, the Truth News Network. You know, you, you can never go wrong when you tell the truth. My mom tried to teach that to me as a kid. You know, kids fib all the time. That's what we called it. I wasn't lying. Mom, I was just fibbing. No matter how you paint it, something's either true or it's false. And in the case of my messing with my mom, I was lying every, every time. And it just gets worse when you look at somebody that not only is serving in the United States Congress, think about it, coming from California, representing a big district of important district. They're all important everywhere, all of them around the U.S. But California and Republicans with, you know, they've got some savvy behind them, some leadership skills, and they get in leadership positions. That's a really big deal. And you've got a guy that chairs that very important committee, and he's caught lying again and again, and not just lying about whether or not he uh, threw a can out the window of his car and he got stopped and said he didn't do it. Wasn't anything like that. He's lying about prosecutions of the president of the United States. Now, a lie is a lie. There's no such thing as a little lie or a little white lie. I, I give this illustration quite often when I talk about this. You know, a husband and wife. The guy just came home from work, and he's sitting in the den, and he's got his feet up, and the phone rings over in the kitchen. And his wife answers the phone, and she says hello, and whoever on there obviously asked to speak to the husband. And she puts her hand over the, you know, the mouth part of the receiver, and she said, it's Bill. And the husband says, oh, my gosh, I don't want to talk to Bill. He says, tell him I'm not here. So the wife complies and hangs up the phone, and she walks into the den and says, you know what? You just made me lie. And he said, well, it really wasn't a lie. When you said he's not here, you were talking about where you were standing right there, talking on the phone, and I wasn't here. 
or there where you were. We call those little white lies, but a lie's a lie. And I got to be honest with you. I want every member of the House of Representatives, every member of the United States Senate, every president, every person that breathes, that is in the White House working in this administration, every appointed bureaucrat in Washington, D.C., I want them all to tell the truth. You swore oaths to protect and defend the Constitution and to honor the laws of this land. Do it every single time. If you can't do it or if you don't want to do it, turn in your resignation and go work somewhere else. And I mean that. I don't know how many people actually work in the federal government with various agencies. It's got to be in the hundreds of thousands. But I got to be honest with you. I don't give anybody a, a pass that works in the government that lies. Nobody. If you cannot stop lying, change jobs. Please change jobs. We don't need somebody telling lies that we pay to work in our government and to represent us to anybody and everybody you interact with as a representative of the government. You're representing us. We're not liars. If you're a liar, move, go on, do something else. Lots of business to get in today. Have you heard about the latest at Walt Disney? You remember their old CEO, Bob Iger. Well, he's back. He was gone for years. They're bringing him back. He's the returning CEO. And Walt Disney is hoping that he will wave his magic wand like Cinderella's fairy godmother and make everything better after Bob Chappick's calamitous tenure as CEO. Got to be honest with you. Over the past few years, Walt Disney has just gone down and down and down. Their stock prices have been abysmal. Analysts are predicting that that task won't be very easy for Bob Iger, saying that he will need to slash spending, restore profitability in two years' time. That kind of means he needs some sorcery that the Disney veteran may not be able to pull off. Now, all or almost all of the divisions of Disney have gotten popped. But among those with the biggest cuts are likely to fall are Disney's streaming services, which lost a stunning, listen to this, $1.5 billion last quarter as the company attempted to take on competing streamers like Netflix and HBO Max. On Sunday, Disney abruptly fired CEO Bob Chappick in the wake of disastrous corporate earnings, a plummeting stock price. Under Chappick, Disney's once-revered brand became severely tarnished by really bad culture war gamuts, including a political fight with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, remember that? And a wholehearted embrace of radical LGBTQ identity politics. When all of that got out around the nation, you know, these people in entertainment, they just don't get it. If they don't present us with the product we expect, 
and the product that we want. We don't get on the streets and march and demonstrate against them. We don't have time to do that. We turn to them, entities like Walt Disney. We turn to their products for entertainment, to appease us, to make us feel like we can step out of the tumultuous lives that we're living for at least just an hour or two. I mean, we have Netflix here. We have HBO Max in our home. And we get some good entertainment very sparingly. We don't spend a lot of time watching movies and stuff. But when we do, we go there to choose entertainment with which we interact with comfortably and that we like. When you have the cable provider that is politicizing their political narrative for something, whatever it is, and they try to shove it down your throat every time you turn over to their uh, streaming service, what do you do? You just turn it off. Iger's job is to now salvage this vessel while also setting a new course. Now, he obviously has the expertise. He did it and made Disney very, very successful before he left. Some analysts have raised concerns about whether his two-year term is going to be long enough to get those goals achieved. The problem is Iger can't last forever. He had already stopped the transitions of Tom Staggs in 2016 and now Bob Chappick, Rosenblatt Security said. Analyst at Moffitt Nathanson said Disney Plus isn't the only corporate property that should be targeted for deep cuts. ESPN, they say, should undergo a review of all sports rights to come as the network continues to lose cable subscribers. Once again, if they present a product that people like, people are going to pay for the product. When they don't pay for the product, guess what? That's a message. We don't like your product. And Disney's got a ton of them. You know, when a company gets so big and they have so many different things that they offer to the public, it's real easy to lose track if you're in management up at the top of what's going on in some of these little individual outlets. I got to be honest with you. I didn't even realize Disney had a streaming service. Their marketing is crappy. I mean, I'm a poppy. I've got six grandkids and I grew up Disney. When they came to our house, they were watching Disney stuff but it was because they wanted the product. When they're, when our kids, when they're getting inundated with these LGBTQ and uh, critical race theory videos and stuff like that, I don't want my kids, my grandkids, being inundated with that kind of programming. And so I'm sure I'm not the only poppy in America that feels that way. So we're going to watch Iger. Um, he did a great job. He did a really good job when he was there before. In fact, much of the stardom that Disney achieved, the very creative things that they did through the decades, a lot of that came under the leadership of Bob Iger. Well, speaking of um, things that are a little uncomfortable, Al-Qaeda and regional affiliate Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula called AQAP, both groups have published messages condemning the 2022 
FIFA World Cup in Qatar, accusing Qatar, which is an Islamist nation, of attracting immoral people, homosexual sowers of corruption and atheism to the Middle East. Both messages, one from the regional entity and one from the greater organization, left any specific threat to attack the soccer tournament considered one of the most popular and prestigious sporting events in the world every year. The Al-Qaeda statement, according to some translations, suggested Muslims in Qatar should stone all the visitors that come that aren't Muslim. Al-Qaeda is a Sunni jihadist terrorist organization, most famous for what it did in the execution of 9-11 on New York City. Remember that? (laughs) While for some time working under the shadow of the Islamic State, a former affiliate, its wing on the Arabian Peninsula has greatly benefited from the nearly eight-year-old civil war in Yemen. So the lack of direct threat to infrastructure or populated events in Qatar may be the result of Qatar's longstanding friendships with Sunni jihadist organizations. American officials have long accused Qatari officials of protecting al-Qaeda and terrorists, including some implicated in the 9-11 attacks. The Taliban, currently the de facto government of Afghanistan, they maintained a political office in Qatar throughout the 20-year Afghan war that it used to negotiate with us. Qatar has also supported the Muslim Brotherhood, a jihadist political party with a militant wing and faced legal claims in response to allegations that they supported al-Qaeda offshoot in Syria, the Nusra Front. Now, listen to what I just told you. I mean, I named about eight or nine terrorist groups that all have ties to Qatar, to other Middle Eastern countries, and we negotiate with them. We have representatives that work directly with them. When the one thing that they declare they want to do that has any mention of anything about the United States is to kill the infidel. We warn our Muslim brothers from following this event or attending it. That came in a statement published over the weekend before it began on Sunday. The message complained that Qatar had attracted immoral people, homosexuals, sowers of corruption and atheism into the Arabian Peninsula. On Sunday, a bunch of different sources, including the site S-I-T-E, Intelligence Group, Monitor, and France 24 journalist Wasim Nasser reported the Greater Al-Qaeda Organization had published another statement claiming the soccer tournament was a pornographic campaign against the peninsula of Mohammed. The statement, according to an unverified translation by the British Daily Star, claims that Zionist crusaders we're using soccer to launch an invasion of the Arabian Peninsula. Their acts are alien to our conservative societies and our Muslim peoples. Only they, Muslims, can do their job by stoning them. Now, don't make the mistake of thinking that this group, these Muslim terrorists, 
don't even think it's not a major threat to not just the United States, but to everybody that is doing anything that goes against what you just heard in their missives they have put out. We've seen it in the past. You've seen it in the past. And I got to be honest with you. I'm fearful. I'm fearful for the fans. I'm fearful for the players that are going over there for all of these soccer games. This is the kind of environment where in the past we've seen these terrorists, Islamist terrorists, really go crazy, killing people, making big deals happen that get worldwide attention. And the sole purpose of them doing these things is to scare people, to create and generate terror among people, not just at these events, but people around the world. It's really hard to believe that human beings would actually do that. But that's what's happening there. Well, did you hear about this FTX falling apart? And I'm sure you have by now. And the founder and the company have filed bankruptcy. Well, yesterday, Dave Rubin was with Tucker Carlson and with Dave Portnoy. You remember him? Well, they got together talking about this um, this FTX falling apart and how it's impacted so many people. Dave Portnoy, you guys know Dave Portnoy from uh, Barstool Sports, who knows a bit about these exchanges and a bit about the market and what's going on. Uh, he was at Tucker Carlson. I was actually downstairs from them right there. I was having a burger over at the Hard Rock uh, Diner. Uh, he was on Tucker Carlson at the... Hard Rock Hotel, Hollywood, just a couple days ago, explaining like, hey, is anyone going to pay for any of this? Really get to the bottom of what happened? No, no. I mean, I don't know that we'll truly know what happened because there's a lot of big players who probably lost a lot of money. I mean, the bankruptcy today, what they released is crazy, what they were spending money on. But who knows? I never think we'll know anything. I don't want to be some conspiracy bait when there's big money involved. I never think I'm getting a straight shake. Like, I mean, honestly, how can Gensler sit down with a guy who is living in a penthouse in the Bahamas with 15 people who are all having sex with each other, spending money on everything, and he's like, yeah, we're going to write the legislation with you. <laughs> I mean, honestly, how is that possible? I, I can't tie my shoe. This guy's doing that and getting away with it. It's like, come on to the White House. Let's sit down and, you know, make some legislation. It's insane. Yeah, so there's a lot of weird stuff. It was like they were, they were having orgies and all this weird stuff, and this idea that Bankman-Fried was helping Democrats write legislation related to crypto. He was doing something that was against the very nature of crypto. If you talk to anyone that knows anything about Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies, again, this idea of the centralized uh, exchange is nuts. You would want it all to be decentralized, but they have a centralized guy. So he's into control, writing the laws about cryptocurrency, which is completely counter to the very ethos of cryptocurrency in the first place. But this thing, this FTX thing, it, it's everywhere. It's affecting and infiltrating, I would say, even the world governments that seem to be coordinating in some sort of, call me crazy conspiracy theorist, I'll be proven right in two years, some sort of uh, globalist agenda. Uh, we've got some info here from the New York Post. 
the shocking implosion of the FTX crypto exchange has become an embarrassment for a who's who among global elites with some issuing mea culpas and other apparently scrambling to hide their ties to its disgraced 30-year-old founder, Sam Bankman-Fried. <clears throat> Web archive sites show that the World Economic Forum, shocker, whose glitzy shindig in Davos, Switzerland is a must-attend for billionaires and world leaders each year, had previously listed FTX as one of its partners touting the Bahamas-based firm as a cryptocurrency exchange built by traders for traders. Bankman-Fried also was a speaker at Davos last May along luminaries such as Google Financial Chief Ruth Porat and Bill Winters, CEO of the London-based financial giant Standard Chartered. Nevertheless, World Economic Forum has since scrubbed any mention of FTX from its website in the days after the crypto exchange filed for bankruptcy. Do you think this is all weird? Do you guys think the timing of this thing is weird? There was this giant Ponzi scheme, money laundering machine that made it all the way to the election, being the second largest Democrat donoring structure, donation structure, and then it implodes the day after the election. And then the World Economic Forum, which we know basically puts world leaders in positions of power in different Western governments, then they scrub FTX's relationship off their website within three, four days. Do you think this is weird? I don't think it's weird. I think that's the way criminality in government happens every day. We just don't hear about it because in this particular case, there are far more zeros after the dollar sign than we've ever seen before. We don't even know how much FTX lost and who and how many people are losing millions of dollars that they invested with this guy. You know what this shows? The love of money is the root of all evil. This guy just promised everybody that could write a big check, hey, I want to turn it into 10 times, 50, 100, 200 times what you put in here. And he did for many people. But it's a Ponzi scheme, just like Bernie Madoff's was. And it was not nearly as big what Madoff did. And at that time, we'd never seen a financial fraud like his ever before. And this one dwarfs Bernie Madoff. I don't think we'll ever know who all were actually involved in this and how much money they lost. And then let's just jump over to the corruption side. Millions of dollars went to Democrats out of this fund from people who invested in this funds. We're never going to know about that. One thing the Democrats are really good at is hiding things. They cover it up, and it's it's like they perfect it. They don't put it out in the marketplace so people can see and hear it. And they have people that are obligated to them in media that cover it up for them. But if you're a Republican, if your name is Trump, oh, my gosh, you don't stand a chance. Everything you do bad, if any, it's going to go. The truth. Straight. No chaser. TNN. The Truth News Network.
I love going all natural. It just makes me feel better. Nothing between me and my 100% all natural, juicy, grass fed beef. Introducing the all-natural burger, the first ever in fast food. With no antibiotics, no added hormones, and no steroids. Only at Carl's Jr. What are you doing? Should we pick him up? He has Bud Light. He has an axe. But he has Bud Light. And an axe. I'm sure there's a reason for it. Hey, buddy. What's with the axe? It's, uh... Bottle opener. Hop in. Refreshingly smooth Bud Light. Always worth it. Look, here's Bud Light. And a chainsaw. Could it? Could it be I'm falling in love? There was so many sing-along songs back in the 70s and the 80s. Like this one. You know, great melody, good good words, and everybody could sing the words. We don't get those kind of things now. I mean, yeah, the kids, my grandkids, they they can follow it all, and they know the words, and they sing them. And even more important and more surprising to me is the dance moves. I don't see how they do it. Oh, my gosh. If I tried some of that stuff, my leg would fall off, my arm would fall off, and I'd break my back. <laughs> and I still wouldn't have done anything. That's because I'm getting old. I'm 69. 69. And I can remember when I turned 50, how old I thought 69 was. And now I'm 69, and I look at people that are older. I mean, kind of like Joe Biden. We didn't talk about it here, but Joe had a birthday this week. 80. 80 years old. Now, here I am. I'm looking at Joe at 80 years old, and I'm thinking, oh, my God. Am I going to be that, do that kind of stuff that he does? Am I going to be cognitively disabled like Joe Biden is when I turn 80? I don't know, but I can tell you this. When I turn 80, I won't be the president of the United States But our president, folks, is 80 years old. He's older than any other president that's ever been president. Kaylee McEnany and others on the the noon show on Fox, they weighed in yesterday with their thoughts about Joe Biden's 80th birthday. Well, happy birthday, President Biden. He turned 80 yesterday, and First Lady Dr. Jill Biden tweeted this. A perfect birthday celebration filled with so much love and Joe's favorite coconut cake. Will the oldest president ever elected run for a second term? I say he will. Even some Democrats, though, have concerns about his age and his penchant for gaffes does not help. 
But the New York Times is coming to his defense. Of course they are in a headline that reads this. President Biden is turning 80. Experts say age is more than a number. The Times writes they'd hardly be so kind to a Republican president. Mr. Biden, these experts agreed, has a lot going in his favor. He is highly educated, has plenty of social interaction, a stimulating job that requires a lot of thinking, is married and has a strong family network. All factors that studies show are protective against dementia and conducive to healthy aging. Wow, talk about engaging in advocacy, New York Times. I mean, Michelle, there are many high-functioning 80-year-olds. Yeah. You know, Nancy Pelosi has her job together, or did, before she retired. You know, there she's an example of one. Um, but Joe Biden's not one of them. All you have to do is watch. And it makes me think, you know, in 2024, he can't hide in the basement, or maybe he can. You know, they hid Fetterman away. They will try to hide him away, lean into official duties. But he'll have to debate three times. Um, he'll have to be out there to some degree. And the commercials are already being made, right? Because he's had so many gaffes and so many issues where you watch him speak and you go, what is he saying? What's he saying? How's he, you know? So I, I think that the Times doth protest too much. When you have to outline <laughs> all these things he has going for him, like his family and his intellect and his stimulating job, then clearly maybe there's something lacking somewhere else. Look, unless you're a science denier, you know that with age comes cognitive decline. It just is a fact of life. So he's facing it, and the Democrats, I think, are going to have to come up with an alternative. Shot. And meanwhile, the Democrats, Biden's coming up with a plan. According to Axios, like President Obama and Clinton before him, Biden's going to use divided government to run against Congress in the second half of his first term. And that could put him in a better position to win re-election. In the coming weeks, he's going to ramp up his outreach to big dollar donors, time to White House holiday parties to underwrite his campaign. This guy's running. I mean, that's right. clear. So I, I've said this for a long time. Joe Biden is running. When you spend a lifetime trying to make it to the presidency, you do not give that up. Amen. That's now, Congress, Congress is not going to push him out. Governors aren't going to push him out. But the media can push him out. And the New York Times, the biggest one, comes out and says, we love Joe. There's no cognitive decline. Um, I think that's a sign that they're going to stick with him. And again, I think this goes back to the results of the, uh, of the election just a month ago. They think he did well. Let's, uh, let, let's get that same performance two years from now. Um, but again, when you, when you don't perform well on the stage and you have a failing economy, I think this is not 2020 again. 2024 is going to be much different for That's Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. Again, debates, you can't sit in the basement. I think America wants answers and Joe's got a record Biden. now. But I think his midterm performance, and I, don't, I shouldn't say it's his because I don't think it was tied to him. It wasn't a referendum on Biden. Stymies off some of the primary challenges. We saw Pritzker, Newsom, Murphy, Democrat governors who were reportedly raising funds, according to Reuters. And I want to play the soundbite from Newsom just before midterms. It almost looks like he's posturing for a run because he's banking on Joe Biden losing miserably. But Joe Biden didn't lose. So watch Newsom, Emily. Does it feel like a red wave? Yeah, of course it does. And it goes to my fundamental grievance with my damn party. We're getting crushed on narrative. We're going to have to do better in terms of getting on the offense and stopping on the damn defense. That seems like posturing. He wasn't banking on them keeping the Senate, doing better than historical norms in the House. That's right. I think that he was just as surprised as many Americans across the board. He also should place the responsibility squarely on his own shoulders for expecting that red wave, given the abysmal failure that he has been as governor of, of California. I have to say that the proactive gaslighting <laughs> on the part of the New York Times is so preposterous. Yeah, they could have just stayed quiet. Comical. They could have just stayed quiet.
but instead they proactively released this, this segmented article about why we should take at face value their words as to why his, his cognition is sound. And that's true, true, and unrelated from the age argument. I think that's what the Democrats keep, keep falling back to. The most ridiculous argument I read as well uh, was the chair of the, of the New Hampshire Rockingham County Democrats who said, well, Tom Brady won the Super Bowl at age 43. Oh, I think we have to reassess aging. <laughs> There oh is nothing analogous whatsoever <laughs> nothing. to Tom Brady winning the Super Bowl as to President Biden and the notion that he said that out loud and that then it made it to print as an argument for us to accept Joe Biden's cognition as sound to me is just the cherry on top. Because to your point, when we talk about the conversation around age, of course, we have a million examples of this person is thriving at age 80, the Eagles announcer, Nancy Pelosi, everyone's sure. And then this person at age 60 is, is absolutely yep. different. Right. right. There's a million examples of same. both. Exactly. We're not all the same. Tom exactly. Brady is the goat. So you, <laughs> Biden is not a goat. That is the moniker. He's a different um, kind of goat. Jack, <laughs> Jackie, um, and these cheat sheets say it all. I've heard a lot of commentators say, you know, every president gets cheat sheets. Yes. Well, I wrote some of the cheat sheets for mm. President Trump and they were factual. They were talking points, graph statistics. They were not like this. This is <laughs> the cheat sheet from Joe Biden at the G20. You will sit at the center. Right. You will deliver opening <laughs> remarks and the U is capitalized. Um, and then at a wind executive meeting in June, check out his other cheat sheet. You take your seat. You get brief comments. You ask Liz Scholler. This was not like a play-by-play -play written for a five-year-old when we were writing cheat sheets. Yeah, we're, we're <laughs> laughing, but this actually is not funny and tells you the extent of, of what the staffers feel like they're dealing with here. Look, there is a minimum age to run for president. The country wants a leader who has lived and has a certain amount of life experience and also a certain amount of maturity. Maybe there should be an upper limit, too, because 80 isn't created equal for everyone. Some people are sharp as a tack and some people are like Joe Biden. So in two more years, it, you know, you only can imagine that this cognitive decline is going to get worse. Um, and also, I think, you know, with Nancy Pelosi resigning and um, you see Ron DeSantis did so well in Florida, there is an appetite in this country for new blood, young blood. And I think that the Democrats, uh, as well as the Republicans, need to realize that and they need to, you know, invigorate the next election. Yeah, Nancy Pelosi talked about the next generation of leadership. Maybe she should talk to her friend Joe about that. I got to be honest with you. I just, I just don't want to see any more of this. Um, hey, little girl, want a piece of candy? Sniffing a girl or a woman's hair—that's just the creepiest thing. And it even gets creepier when the guy doing it gets even older. I mean, it just—it turns my stomach. And he still does it. I don't think he even realizes that he does it. Or if he does realize it, it means this. He's a dirty old man. <laughs> 80 years old. He was doing it when he was 40, 45, 50. We have pictures of him doing it when he first went to the U.S. Senate. And he was the youngest U.S. Senator ever. He was, he was on the Hill, gosh, decades. I don't know how long he was on the Hill. Well, it's about time for us to check in with our buddy Steve Baker, up in Washington, D.C., and uh, why don't we just call him right now? You want to listen to the phone call? Let's see if he catches that I'm calling him. Yo. Are you there? Hello. Hello, hello. I hear you. Hey, can you hear me? <laughs> you forgot to turn your cell phone. <laughs> I think I did. 
I am here, and, oh. and hey, I told the people, let's call him live and see if we can trick him. No, it, it, oh, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't sound real professional when we do it, but you're a real pro. <laughs> well, you did trick me, but I am here. Well, we were just talking about Joe Biden celebrating his 80th birthday, and uh, we just heard a little snippet from uh, Fox News when the women all get together at noon, and they were talking about some of his issues being 80 years old. And I, I said in, after the, the soundbite, I, I know you were listening to the show, Steve. You weren't listening to us? <laughs> well, actually, I was. I had, I had the show on all morning and was listening to it, but there's a, uh, uh, a time delay. Uh, and so by the time you got there, I was not hearing you, and then the phone rang, and then I was like, okay, well, he's just calling me early and getting me on the line. We're going to test our audio, that sort of thing. No, but I'm here. (laughs) Well, all I could say at the end of it was I just, I just, I get tired of guys, you know, these men. He smells women's hair, even little girls' (laughs) hair. It's like, hey, little girl, want a piece of candy? (laughs) And he's been doing it for 50 years. I just don't oh get it. Gosh. And he's president. Yeah. Anyway, you're up there in the swamp. Did you get any yeah, swamp man. stuff on you up there? Hey, I, I'm going to have to bathe for a week when I get back to North Carolina, <laughs> probably, to get oh, this man. off of me. I I can't tell you. And, I, and I'm... I, your listeners probably don't know this. You may not even know this, Dad, but I, I am one of the most non-hyper-spiritual guys in the world. I'm just not hyper-focused on looking for demons and, uh, you know, under every stone or angels behind every cloud. That's not, that's just not the way I operate. But having said that, after being here for eight weeks, uh, I just feel this oppression and I cannot wait to get out of here. Every time I, I did business, we had a, long-term contract with Washington, with Hospital Center in Washington, D.C. And I was up there pretty regularly. And it was just, there was something about it. When you get off the jet at Reagan and you grab a cab. Yeah. And oh, actually, one time I was doing that. I got in a cab early afternoon, late morning, and driving from there to the hospital. We were going through a subdivision, and all of a sudden I heard this clicking outside in the the taxi driver said, lay down in the seat. That's gunfire. That's gunfire (laughs) in the middle of the day. That's one thing, but there is this spirit. And I know you're not a guy that looks for it, but I wasn't either, but you can just sense it. It's like, there's a lot of evil up there hanging around and you can, you can feel it. You've been there. You've been up there for a while. How many weeks? Uh, This is, this is my eighth week right now. Well, I know you told me in a text just a little while ago, the jury got the whole case this morning. Give us the skinny. What's going on? Yeah. From the last time we spoke, there was a uh, surprise witness uh, that was called to the stand uh, last week. And that threw everything off uh, Maida's intended, Judge Maida's intended schedule. He had intended that the defense's closing arguments would begin as early as Wednesday last week. And as as a lot of people know, it's not well known, but I've been working very closely with one of the defense teams and, and providing uh, more, more or less just not only research, but also writing 
doing writing for them. I actually wrote the opening argument for one of the defendants. I actually wrote the closing argument, which was presented yesterday. And the um, we were ready last Wednesday, expecting that that would be the day. But the surprise witness was one of the defendants. The uh, attorney for Jessica Watkins did not notify the court in advance that she would be taking the stand. So it was a surprise, threw everything off kilter. It was quite a lengthy testimony, and as a result of that and other things that happened over the last uh, days of last week, it threw everything off. So finally, yesterday morning, was the conclusion of the defense attorney's closing arguments. They they got in two of them on Friday afternoon, and then there were three remaining closing arguments yesterday. And then, of course, the government gets their rebuttal. And so the last thing that the jury hears is the government's rebuttal uh, close. And then the final jury instructions. And then this morning at 930, the jury got the case. And so they're sitting in the jury room right now. I am not at the courthouse at the moment. I was waiting till after this show to start heading that way. And so I'll start my jury watching this afternoon and uh, we'll see what happens. Now, they're not going to um, they're not going to be working tomorrow. Uh, or Thanksgiving or Friday. So if they don't come back with a verdict today, then they will be back at it on Monday morning. There are, of course, plenty of other trials related to January 6th that has happened, and no jury has yet taken even three hours to come back with guilty verdicts. They've all been guilty verdicts, but nothing has lasted longer than three hours. So you're maybe wondering, well, why am I sitting here and not at the courthouse if that's the case? Well, this is a much more complex trial because because there hasn't been a multi-defendant trial yet in, in a January 6th case. This is the first of those, and there's there are more coming. But with the, with regards to this one, with five defendants and then multiple charges against, and there's three different conspiracy charges, Dan, uh, related to to each one of these defendants. So. If the jury is fair, even if they want to project a pretense of being fair and giving rightful consideration to the evidence and to the individual charges over five different people, they just can't come back today. I just don't see it happening. Having said that, one of the defense attorneys was walking next to a Mr. Um, Jeffrey Nessler yesterday, who is the assistant U.S. attorney lead prosecutor for this case, and he flat out said that he expected the jury to come back today with a guilty verdict. I don't I don't understand. I mean, you've been listening to the exact same things as these guys have been listening to, and if there's impartiality in the part of the the judge and and uh, the um, jury, you would think that it would take some time because both sides are there. And uh, the charges are pretty egregious. And, I, I mean, I would think it would take more time than coming back like today. That's just me. I would think it would take more time simply because the, 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 the defense teams really took the gloves off in their closing arguments. Um, folks may or may not be aware, but there's so much evidence that is limited and cannot be brought into the trial. Uh, the obviously the judge has the ultimate of authority over what he allows in, and and sometimes he blocks the government from bringing certain items in. But more often than not, in this particular trial, he prevented the defense teams from bringing certain evidence in. But when they get to their closing arguments, there's a little bit more latitude. They have a lot more uh, space to walk within, and these guys 
absolutely took the gloves off uh, in their closing arguments, especially the three yesterday morning, because what, what, what is there to lose at this point? They're swinging for the fence and they called the prosecutions, uh, the government's case out for what it was, was just a blatant pack of lies and mischaracterization of the facts and timelines that they presented. I mean, literally the truth itself was stood on its, on its head in their presentations. And they also brought out very, very succinctly and clearly over and over and over again by all five of the defense teams, how many times, even when special agents of the FBI were sitting on that stand, and there was at least a dozen of those testifying, that at the in conclusion of those testimonies, these defense lawyers in their cross-examinations would ask them, can you tell me any have you had any evidence? Do you have any chats, any phone records, any uh, social media accounts whatsoever of an actual order by O-Keeper leadership or discussions between the members themselves of those orders to enter the Capitol, to overthrow the government, to attack and kidnap Congress people, things of that nature? They ask these questions over and over, and every single time, the FBI said, no, we do not have direct evidence of those orders ever being given. But nevertheless, that is the totality of the government's case. And they, they, are, they are basically saying after all of these answers from the FBI that they've switched gears into this being an insinuated conspiracy because they don't have the vocal or the written records of these orders to do these things, but it was implied it's an implied conspiracy now. I mean, can that stand? Can they be convicted? Is that something that uh, legally could be held against them? I mean, that's opinion. That's opinion. That's in, not evidence. Yeah, but according to the law, a conspiracy can, in fact, be implied. In fact, according to the law, a conspiracy can happen in the last moment before the alleged crime takes place. Without any discussion between the conspirators themselves, they can just suddenly have the, it's a thought crime, Dan. They can suddenly <laughs> have the mutual realization that they have conspired to overthrow the U.S. government, standing on the steps of the Capitol itself in that very moment, after singing the national anthem, that then at that moment, they, the conspiracy uh, was, was hatched. And that under the law, in fact, that can happen. And so that is a uh, opinion, and that means that whoever holds the staff uh, of righteousness in that particular moment, whatever way they think the wind blows and what intentions were, that's good enough for a conviction. Yeah, unfortunately, and you and I have talked about this many time, many times over the last few weeks, is that we're talking about a D.C. jury, and one of the first things that should have happened, no other case that I can recall in my lifetime, Dan, deserved a change of venue. Um, and, of course, that was not going to happen because this is a political show trial. It needed to happen in D.C. because that's where they can control all the outcomes and not just the final outcome, but they can control the, um, all of the, the motions and the, and the uh, admission of testimony, admission of evidence, that sort of thing. They have more control here than anywhere else. And in that particular venue, uh, the district court itself, and this is, this is something that I learned that you know, we have all these, you know, massive, 
number of pages of federal law, criminal federal law, but every district of federal courts around the country, they have their own variations. Oftentimes, Judge Maida would, re- would refer to, in this district, the law says, and then they would reference, or maybe one of the attorneys would argue a point of law from a district somewhere else, and he would say, no, but in this district, this is the way it works. Well, you've been so sitting. It's important for them to keep it here. Yeah. You've been sitting there for eight weeks, as you said. And uh, you've heard all the evidence, pro and con. You wrote a couple of uh, defense motions yourself. What do you think? What do you think about the outcomes? Is, is everybody going to get the same outcome, all five? Um, the, <laughs> the, the if, if we were taking uh, bets from, out of Vegas, the, if the odds makers were on this, I would say that it's absolutely impossible for these guys to be acquitted of all charges. The the other thing that I would say is is that because of the conviction rate in the federal court here in D.C. is so high, it it runs depending upon which uh, uh, news report you're reading, but it runs between 97 to 99 percent of all criminal cases tried in the D.C. district are convictions. Now, whether these guys, whether the whether the jury will look at this seditious conspiracy charge and say there's just no way that the government, you know, was able to prove that and throw all that out and still convict them because they're variously different defendants in this case have anywhere from five to seven um, different charges against them. And well, so they could throw that one out and still get them on a couple of other conspiracy charges. It's like the government is the government, the IRS. When they do an audit, almost every time they audit anybody for anything, they're going to come back with something. They're going to find something that they can say this person was guilty of doing this, even if it's something little. Uh, I would assume. Well, it is. They, it's. it's it, I would assume in this show case. Me, be, show me the man, and I, yeah, show me the man, and I'll show you the crime. Yeah. Yeah, they're going. There's never been more of a, an example of that mindset and that Soviet era of judicial process than has been presented in this particular case. And the reason why I say that is, as we and we have talked about this uh, as well before, is that when you have a bunch of uh, and in every case in this in this trial, they're all former military guys. They speak the language of military guys. They, uh, you know, they say scary words and scary phrases and they're, they're bombastic and they're braggadocious and they're, they're, they're some of their language is inflammatory. They, their language re- uh, references revenu- revolutionary, you know, era type concepts, that sort of thing. And, and the, the government successfully, I am afraid, was able to piece together a narrative by plucking phrases out of context Phrases they words and statements that they made literally with other friends in their telephone conversations and in their social media accounts, and and reporting back home that day from January sixth as they were witnessing the events that were taking place, not to other oath keepers but to people at home, their friends sitting at home, sitting on couches. The government was able to bring that into this case and then put piece together this narrative that they had, in fact, a plan to overthrow the government. Now, on the other hand, this is 14, no, there's five in this trial, but there was 14 charged with this particular um, crime. 
14 of these Oath Keepers. And, and Dan, we're, talk, we're talking about people that showed up with no weapons. And this 14 individuals with no weapons somehow were going to occupy the United States Capitol and imprison and take hostage. This is, these are actual assertions by the government. Yeah. That their intent was to hunt down Congress people and take them captive. <laughs> and so no they, they, they have the allegations. So in court, they create this, the perception that that was probably most likely going on. And these people need to go to jail for doing that. And not because of what they did, but because of what they said. And that's the basis of a conspiracy is that just because you planned it or just because you said it, doesn't matter whether you did it or not. It doesn't even matter whether you carried the tools necessary to accomplish the crime that you are, are alleged to have planned. You can be convicted of that conspiracy. The problem is, is as obviously these defense lawyers have, have pointed out over and over again, is that these guys were all in town for a different mission. They were doing personal security details for VIP speakers. Now, unfortunately, the P, and this is unfortunate when you're talking about a DC jury, they were doing their personal security details for the likes of Roger Stone, um, uh, Alex Jones, you know, people that are, are despised uh, otherwise because of their relationship to Trump or, you know, they have this conspiratorial language of their own, like an Alex Jones, that sort of thing. But the, but the list of people that they were, they were doing security details for that day were, were Trump supporters and people that were, uh, in fact, uh, denying the results of the election. Uh, this was a stop, quote unquote, stop the steal rally on January 6th. And so it's, it's very difficult, I would think, as I sat there and I heard these lists of all the protectees that the, that the Oath Keepers were guarding and escorting uh, to their various events and speaking engagements on, on both January, the evening of January 5th and January 6th, that this jury is sitting there listening to these names and cringing themselves, that almost in their own minds, these guys must be guilty just by association with this cast of uh, Trump-supporting election denying characters. Well, you've been there through the whole thing. You've heard all the testimony. You've heard the rebuttals. You heard the closing arguments. Do you think all five will get convicted of something? I think it's very difficult that they won't be. As I said, when you're talking about 97 to 99% uh, success rate here in the district court on federal charges, uh, it's, it's, it's just odds on that they are going to be. The only hope that I have personally is that one or two maybe of those jurors will uh, at the very least hang the jury uh, on some counts, maybe not the entire thing. Maybe we may not get uh, a, a juror or two to hang the entire thing and say this is the, the government just did not rise you know, to the occasion and present the evidence necessary beyond any reasonable doubt. To, con uh, to convict these guys and, and and throw this thing into chaos, but that's my hope. I would I would hope that at least on some of these charges that they will go. No, I'm I'm not going there, and at least hang some of those. What kind of sentences did you anticipate? Well, the the seditious conspiracy charge itself uh, will will carry a 20 year sentence. Now that's maximum. The judge made it doesn't have to go with the full 20 years. But uh, that's the maximum sentence for that one. But there are two other 
conspiracy charges that they themselves have, you know, five, 10, 15 years uh, sentence possibilities. And then there's the other more minor, minor charges, such as the aiding and abetting of the violence, the aiding and abetting of violence against law enforcement officers, aiding and abetting the, the uh, destruction of capital property. All of these are felony charges. Uh, in fact, these guys are not even charged with the most basic that most January 6th defendants have, have either been found guilty of or pled out on, which is the what I call the glorified trespassing charge, you know, entering the building and disrupting the business of the day, which is a misdemeanor charge. These guys weren't even given, they weren't even, let's just put it this way. The jury wasn't even given that option to reduce this down to saying, okay, let's just, let's send these guys home Let's get them for, you know, the three that in this particular case that walk inside the building for 17 minutes, by the way, Dan, that's a, that's a real occupation, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and, and then, and did no violence, did no property destruction whatsoever, but because they were there, they were aiding and abetting and, and because of the, because of the aiding and abetting charge, it's a, it's a felony. So they, the, the government did not even give them the op- the jury, the opportunity to, find them guilty on a much lesser charge. So, I mean, they, 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 some of these guys are old enough that whatever sentence comes down will effectively be a life sentence. Um, uh, Mr. Caldwell, Thomas Caldwell is 69 years old and horrible health. He was, he was literally blown up by, you know, a bomb serving our country uh, in the service when he was a younger man and his body is racked from the infirmities that he's carried his entire life as a result of that um, explosion. And he, uh, you know, he will, he will likely, even under a lighter sentence, he will likely uh, die in prison. That's a shame. It's horrible. These patriots are getting stuck with this kind of stuff. And of course, it's a message that the government is sending to Americans, which is basically just sit down and shut up don't even talk about or especially don't even try to push back against anything your government does and your government would be whatever government is in power at the time. That's a scary thing for Americans to face this and realize at any time, same kind of thing could happen to you if you just are in the wrong place at the wrong time and talking to the wrong person and say something that you shouldn't have said or thought. That's scary. The most frightening aspect of this, Dan, is that how many of our words can be used, literally twisted, reformulated, refranchised, and packaged for a jury's ears beyond their original intent, beyond their original scope, the context of the conversation in which they were uttered, but they will pull out little single phrases out of that context of an entire conversation and then piece a narrative together from doing that from multiple conversations into um, providing a, uh, a scenario for a jury that makes it sound more ominous than it really is. And that's exactly what we witnessed in this trial. We witnessed it over and over and over again. And for people like you and I who have written and spoken millions of words, when they come for us, you know, we're, we're dead meat. I had, I had uh, the opportunity this weekend to, to go visit my daughter. She lives in Charlottesville, which is only a couple hours outside of, uh, of DC. And so we spent the weekend together and I told her right then and there, I said, 
from this point forward, your social media is about your cats and your family. Don't ever, ever <laughs> talk about politics on social media. Well, as we end this thing today, I'm going to tell you something. You need to say hello to our mutual friends in Langley, Virginia. <laughs> there are two of them listening to the show as we speak. So you, what we, you just we said. Have, we don't have four. What you just we said may be pages of them this time. <laughs> what you just said may be prophetic for you and for me. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I mean, you, you never know, and I and I always I always extend my my greetings to those guys. You know, I've got my uh, I've got you know there, you you see these funny memes out there about uh, uh, everybody having their own guardian uh, FBI agent watching and listening to all their words. Why well, oh, yeah. I, I do? I mean. I have uh, my friends back in North Carolina, Agent Doss and Agent Noyes. Uh, hello, guys. Nice to uh, speak to you again today. Well, and, we and do have some. Langley. We do have some North Carolina. I'm looking at you know. I get a, a page, uh, and it just mm-hmm. scrolls and scrolls. It shows the state and the town in which people are listening. Sometimes really specific stuff, uh, and it's kind of scary because I see Langley pop up all the time. Um, yeah. maybe, maybe they, maybe it's because I'm your friend. Maybe I need to change that. <laughs> <laughs> you, you might need a whole new circle of friends, Dan. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, listen, when the jury comes back, you're going to be there. Uh, doubtfully it'll be yes. today. If it is today, then you'll just have to circle back tomorrow and come give us yeah, a report. On it. But even in tomorrow, if it, during the show, if it comes, just give me a call, we'll break in live, but we certainly want to hear the outcome. And to be honest with you, we got a lot of people listening today. Pray for these guys. Pray for these guys because it's not looking good for their futures in the short term and some of them in the long term. And that's a terrible yeah. thing. That's a terrible thing. Uh, gosh, I hate it. I just can't imagine this is happening in the United States of America. You know, Dan, I thought that after it was all over yesterday and we, we uh, some of us, went to dinner. I went to dinner with a couple of the attorneys last night. And when it was all over, I felt like maybe even though the, even though the, uh, the verdicts have not been read yet, but I thought that maybe all of us would at least have some sense of a burden lifted at this point. You know, for one thing, we, we got to sleep last night. We didn't have to get up early and be in the courtroom, you know, at, 715. We didn't have the, the courthouse rather. And I thought that there would be a, a lifting of the burden. But when I woke up this morning, I felt it heavier than I've ever felt it in this entire eight weeks, because now I know I just have that feeling of what I know is coming. And it, it's, and I'm emotionally invested in this beyond professionally. Yeah. And so I, I have this, you know, incredible knot in my, my heart right now uh, for these guys. Literally. I'll be in prayer for you tonight and for these guys and for their families. And just make sure as soon as you get a verdict on each of them, you come back and let us know. We'll do it. Thank you, Dan. Thanks, buddy. Steve Baker, live from DC. When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Ah, luxury. 
The aroma is full-bodied, the flavour is decadent, the touch divine, and the drive? Yes, the drive of luxury is simply infinity. Introducing the Infinity Luxury Test Tour. If you think you are familiar with luxury, you haven't driven an Infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove invites you to truly become familiar with luxury and take a luxury test tour. It's like a test drive, but with more luxury. We invite you to drive luxury to luxury, not for an hour or even a day, but for an entire weekend. Your choice. Select your Infinity and motor off to a luxury weekend in Lake Tahoe or Napa Valley. And yes, all the luxury is on us. Introduce yourself to LuxuryTestTour.com and truly become familiar with luxury. Infinity of Elk Grove is literally giving you the keys to a luxury experience like none other. LuxuryTestTour.com Drive luxury, drive infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove. Expect more. Yo, some people think it don't make sense that I'm a horse whisperer. Fancy prance, yo! But you know what else don't make sense? Bye. I mean, it's good for you, but still somehow tastes amazing. Sideways fancy prance, you heard? Yeah. Clippity-clop, clippity-clop. Yo, I just whispered all of y'all. Too easy. Bye. Five calories, antioxidants, and tastes amazing? None of this makes sense. In the clown car of the deep state, you will never find a greater den of scum and villainy. You need a hero. Here again, blaster in hand, is Dan Newman. That bump there was, it was kind of applicable. Den of thieves. It's really happening. These guys are facing jail. Maybe two or three of them for the rest of their lives. And they did nothing conscionably like storming the Capitol. Of course, the way it was portrayed on television from the very beginning is all these guys and everybody else were carrying guns. Do you know how many guns were found that day, January 6, 2021, when this was going on? You know how many? Cops took one gun away from a guy, and the only other gun there that anybody found or that did anything was a capital cop that shot a woman in the back left side of her throat. She bled out on the floor of the Capitol. That's the only ones there. But if you talk to anybody, they're all going to say, oh, everybody, that with the, all these people that were storming the Capitol, these insurrectionists were armed. They were there in military garb. It wasn't true. But that's the narrative that has been painted by the far-left administration that is out there to try to sell this thing, that Trump, Donald Trump, was the bad guy, the orange man. He did it all. He drove that to happen, and all these people died. One person died that day as a result of what happened at the Capitol, one person. And it was a Republican, a service member, a woman from San Diego, was there, and she was in the Capitol, no question about it. The video's been pulled down off YouTube, but I watched it in the early going, and it's very plain. She was in front, in a group, was in front, breaking through one of those kind of, uh, you know, barriers like a, a partial wall, wood and glass. They were breaking through that to get to a further place down the aisle, down the hallway, 
And she was doing that, and a cop came up and shot her from behind. The coroner in Washington, D.C. determined her cause of death was homicide. And that cop's never even been investigated. He's still on the force. I don't know. Anytime you throw the government in there, things change. Now, let me blow your mind. Literally, while we've been in this show, this comes out of Washington, D.C., masking and social distancing should be encouraged or even mandated once more in public in order to protect people from COVID-19 and from the possibility of suffering from long COVID. This according to a new report from the Department of Health and Human Services. HHS, they commissioned this report produced by research agency Copharma, It calls for a broad range of government policies to help us all who continue to deal with the lingering effects of COVID. Those policies include an awareness campaign, funding for long COVID support groups, financial support for students and workers, and new health benefits for COVID victims. Now, listen, we've said all along we weren't through with it. The government was going to try to come back, circle back in Jen Psaki's terminology, come back to COVID-19 and use it somehow at least one more time to crush us, to put us on our knees once more, American citizens, at the behest of our government. This mass mandate, if it comes, may be the most controversial recommendation in the report. The report says ending that mandate in late 2021 and 2022 is making it harder for people with long COVID. Biden said in September the pandemic is over, but his administration hadn't let up on the need for funding and policies to keep fighting the virus. Last week, the White House asked Congress for another $10 billion, B billion, to fight COVID. The top HHS official said assisting people with long COVID is a long-term priority for the government. Listening and learning from the experiences of long COVID patients is essential to accelerating understanding and breakthroughs. That's from Rachel Levine, Assistant Secretary for Health. She, and I can't, I don't even know if she goes by he or she, she's transgender. Levine said the new HSS report is evidence of our commitment to engaging communities to provide patient-led solutions. Listen, I got to be completely honest with you, and I don't care who's listening. I'm going to give you my honest opinion. To me, this has nothing to do with health care, nothing to do with the health of Americans. It has to do with a government that looked at what happened during 2021 and early 2022, and they loved it. They didn't love so much that people were dying, but what they loved was they could take control of the American people. They could do it, and they could force us to do things that they never even gave one thought that could possibly happen in the United States. They tested how much they could force us to be compliant and just do everything we were told to do. 
And of course, to do that, they had to talk about, oh, it's the science. It's the science. It's not the science. It's not the science. It's the medical opinions of some people that were taken and weaponized as being coming from experts like Dr. Anthony Fauci. You know what I haven't heard? I haven't heard anybody come up and do an analysis on everything that Fauci told us was factual and then was later changed. I've not seen that. But I'm going to guess and tell you right now, of all the stuff he told us to do and not do, all the stuff he told us were factual, the information that he gave to us, I guarantee you more than half the time was wrong. And certainly because of that, there are people that made decisions based on Anthony Fauciisms that are dead today. Nobody's taken responsibility for any of that. That's just kind of, well, that's what happens when you have a pandemic. We didn't have a pandemic. We had a really bad flu season that our government took and weaponized. And when you throw in the medications that came out that we were told would take care of us, remember, they're going to stop us from getting the flu, excuse me, getting COVID-19. And then when we got COVID-19, they said, well, you got to get boosted. And when we took the boosters, you had to take a second booster. And then all of this, we find out from the real science, finally, none of it was true. They haven't come back and said, you know what? We're sorry. And they're not going to do that. Why? Because they're the government. They're elected and we endowed them with the power to do whatever they want to do. And we just have to follow and do everything they tell us to do. I'm sick of this. I really am. I'm not going to go back to wearing a mask. And let me just be completely honest with you. I've been in the medical field for 32 years professionally. I've seen everything. I can't imagine another situation in medicine that I have to see to learn anything more right now, at least in what I do. And I'm going to tell you, masks do nothing to stop COVID-19. We published on truthnewsnet.org the results of 31, 31 control tests of every kind of mask there is, how it would handle scientifically COVID-19. Of the 31 tests, none, not a single one, gave results that showed through testing that it would stop COVID-19. Not a single one. And all through the quote-unquote pandemic, we heard people all the time saying, oh, it's the science, Fauci. Well, you got to wear two. Then he even said, you got to wear three masks. It was all horse hockey. And people died listening to Dr. Anthony Fauci and other experts, so-called experts. And that's sad that our government pointed us in that direction and that we had to, we were forced to follow suit. 
the most innocent among us, our kids, were forced to mask up. They've been forced to get boosted. And that medicine they put in our baby's arms, they have no idea what's going to happen. We're seeing it all across the nation. And the mainstream media aren't talking about all of the cases out there. But there are people today that are permanently disabled, people that are having reactions. Nobody could even imagine it. We've had undertakers on this show telling us about what they're finding when they go to embalm these people that died that are vaccinated and they can't get the embalming fluid into the veins of these people because the veins are stuffed full of a gelatin-type material, which can only be considered to be the blood of these people that had been vaxxed and the vaccination did something to their blood. And this is, this is proven stuff, but the mainstream media won't talk about it. Every few days, they release some information. It's like, maybe, oh, maybe, young males are going to have problems. Myocarditis, we're finding it in young adults that have been vaccinated. We talked about that eight months, nine months, a year ago. It was reported in the adverse, the VARS uh, uh, records that come out every Friday from the CDC. And we gave you those reports every week when they came out, the VARS report. Every American could look at it. You want to hear the latest? The latest report came out November 11th. According to the CDC and the vaccine adverse effects, 32,220 people have died. Now, is that all that have died? Well, let me tell you what the CDC says. Their disclaimer is these numbers are nowhere near the numbers of the actual people that have experienced these adverse effects because very few of them are reported to the CDC. So they say estimate 8 to 10 times more than the numbers here. So you do the math. 32,220 deaths reported. 18, excuse me, 183,000 hospitalizations, 139,000 cases of urgent care, 212,000 doctor's visits, 10,000 cases of anaphylaxis, 16,000 cases of Bell's palsy, 60,000 permanently disabled, 35,000 of myocarditis, 15,000 heart attacks, 4,500 miscarriages, what else? Severe allergic reaction, 41,501. Now you multiply those numbers, but by, do it by 10. It's easy. That means 322,000 Americans have died as a direct effect of the vaccination they took. Nothing like this has ever appeared anywhere on the world stage, around the world. From medicine, nothing. And I don't think any of the people that propagated this and put it on the American people and on the people of the world will ever be held accountable for doing it. And it didn't have to happen. We told you as we started the show today, 
the doctor that we had on the show last week that had been put in the target of the Department of Justice, and they've charged him with half a trillion fines for him telling Americans over and over again, treating Americans with vitamin D and using it the way he prescribed protected them from COVID-19. The Department of Justice came after him saying he was lying. He was misrepresenting facts to people around the world because his videos went around the world. Lo and behold, a controlled test comes out at the beginning of this week. And with 100,000 controlled tests on people using vitamin D, as it was prescribed by their doctor, it was more effective than any of the COVID vaccines. Dr. Naputi will be back on the show Tuesday morning at 9.30. It's not so much about the money. It's not. It's about the power. It's about the control that our government wants over all of us. That should scare us all to death. I'll be honest with you. It scares me because you don't know what's going on underneath. You don't know what their purposes are. But you do know there are purposes there, but what are they? They're obviously not good because people are dying. People are being disabled permanently. Miscarriages. Think about all of that. And the government our government instigated a large part of it for what purpose? They wouldn't even admit they were part of it. And they go scot-free. It's unbelievable. He'll never let you fall to the lies. Your bulwark against the tide of fake news. Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. What is Coca-Cola? Is it an excuse to get together? Since 1886, Coca-Cola has been passing on smiles from generation to generation. We've been giving kids scholarships, like the early birds and the all-nighters. And you get to enjoy what matters most. Coca-Cola. Drink up. They're having hearings in Congress this week, and somebody I have a lot of respect for, Senator Tom Cotton from Arkansas, he asked FBI Director Ray about the protest, the protest and the protesters, all of that that happened at the Supreme Court justices' homes. What about the illegality of those? And I want you to listen to... FBI Director Christopher Ray's responses to the senator. Director Ray, is it a crime under Section 1507 of Title 18 to picket and protest outside of a federal judge's home to try to influence his or her decision? Uh, I don't have the statute in front of me, but that sounds like a fair description. Uh, so on numerous occasions uh, in recent months, there have been large-scale protests outside the homes of Supreme Court justices in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, 
Yesterday, the head of the Department of Justice Criminal Division confirmed that the Biden Justice Department has not brought a single case against any individual for breaking that law by protesting outside of those justices' homes. Um, are you aware of the FBI making any arrests for violations of Section 1507? Uh, I'm, well, I'm aware that we have a number of investigations related to uh, threats of violence against justices um, and against judicial buildings, including the Supreme Court. Uh, and of course, we assisted in the recent charges of the individual who had a, a plot to kill uh, or an intent to kill uh, Justice Kavanaugh. What statutes are involved, uh, I don't know, but I don't, I don't think any of them and used 1507 as the uh, offense. Why were, why were there no arrests for an obvious violation that played out on national television? <laughs> Did someone in the Biden Department of Justice direct you not to let FBI agents enforce that law? Uh, no, I don't think we've gotten any directive to that effect. I think part of what you're driving at, uh, respectfully, is is goes to questions about the interpretation of and applicability uh, of the statute. And while I absolutely understand your interest in the question, um, I think... This is one of those times where I would uh, point to the department as the lawyers who are making. Well, I have it right here in front of me. It's not very confusing. Whoever, with the intent of influencing any judge in the discharge of his duty, pickets or parades in or near a building or residence occupied or used by such judge, shall be fined under this title or imprisoned for not more than one year. I mean, it happened on national television news. Were there no self-starting? FBI agents in the area that thought, wow, they're committing a terrible federal crime. I'm going to go arrest them. Well, as I said, you know, we're working very closely with the marshals, with Supreme Court police, uh, with the uh, Supreme Court marshals. You know, they have the principal responsibility for crowd control and protecting the justices. We have a number of investigations underway as we speak. And then questions as to the enforcement of that particular statute uh, constitutionally are are better directed to the department. Well, I don't think there's much question about the constitutionality. In 1965, in Cox v. Louisiana, the Supreme Court held up a virtually identical state statute. In 1988, Justice John Paul Stevens stated that it would be constitutional to prohibit protesting outside even an elected officials' home, not judges' home, but elected officials' homes, because, quote, there is simply no right to force speech into the home of an unwilling listener. So, so why, why did no FBI agent in the national capital region, seeing a crime committed repeatedly on national television, not go enforce the law. I mean, don't you expect your agents to go enforce the law? I mean, if, they, if they're aware of a bank robbery or kidnapping, do they need direction from on high to make an arrest? Well, uh, our agents are, as we've discussed at some length in different ways throughout this hearing, uh, are up to their necks uh, enforcing all sorts of laws. Uh, and I wish I, we were in a situation where every federal violation that occurred in this country was something the FBI could uh, have the resources to investigate. We have prioritized focusing on violence and threats of violence. Uh, and we are aggressively investigating uh, in that space across the spectrum, uh, including uh, violence and threats of violence against uh, members of the judicial branch. Well, I mean, these protests wound up with a hitman traveling across the country trying to assassinate Justice Brett Kavanaugh. And, we've, so and we've, he's been arrested and charged federally. Seriously, yeah. in addition to that actual hitman's crimes. I mean, again, it was happening on 
national television seems like a layup to show up and arrest them. I mean, what, what if those protesters were protesting outside of a district judge home uh, were members of MS-13 and that judge was presiding over the murder and racketeering trial of an MS-13 gang lord? Would you expect your agents to show up and arrest those protesters? Uh, you know, I would think we would want to be aggressively investigating MS-13 members, and we are. So, uh, but uh, that didn't answer my question. Is, is there, would you expect your agents to stop MS-13 from protest, protesting outside of a federal judge's home as that judge presided over an MS-13 murder trial? Uh, knowing what we know about MS-13 uh, and their uh, almost um, epic commitment to violence, uh, an MS-13 member engaging in that activity outside a judge presiding over uh, an MS-13 trial would be something that I think would, would lead to us trying to look at every tool we have to be able to protect that judge. So it's, it's okay to protest outside of Supreme Court Justice's home if you disagree with their potential rulings? I didn't say that. I don't so believe that. So what's the difference between the two? I think the difference is twofold. One... Uh, we have to make sure that we are prioritizing and enforcing those uh, violations of federal criminal law that uh, are, represent the greatest threat to the public. Uh, and so that in particular focuses on violence and threats of violence. Second, as to this particular statute, questions about when it applies constitutionally are, with respect, better directed to the department. Uh, if I was sitting here as the Assistant Attorney General or the Attorney General, I might have a different type of response to you. But as FBI Director, on the interpretation of the statute uh, constitutionally, I would defer to the department on that. Well, I, I'm, I'm very disappointed that the Department of Justice and the FBI didn't take these protests themselves seriously. As I said, they led to a Democratic hitman showing up and trying to assassinate a sitting Supreme Court justice. We all know a federal judge who lost her son and almost lost her husband because someone showed up at their home as well. These are serious and grave threats. It is an obvious black letter violation of the criminal law. And I, I hope if it happen, happens again, the FBI will take it more seriously and start arresting them and charging with the violation of this obvious crime. You know, that's bad enough. But what comes to mind when I hear Senator Tom Cotton, he's just blasting FBI Director Christopher Wray about them doing nothing about those threats of those protesters in front of the Supreme Court justices' homes, which is violation of federal law. They did nothing about it. It's no big deal. Look, look at what happened out in Portland, Oregon. There were horrible riots in Portland for months and the federal government didn't do anything. Donald Trump was still president. He tried to. He reached out to the governor of the state of Oregon and also to the mayor of that city and said, let us bring some federal troops there to take care of this. And they both said, don't you dare send any federal troops out here to handle this. They did nothing then. What about the Black Lives Matter riots on the Miracle Mile in Chicago? where millions of dollars in one night, millions of dollars of damage and theft, broken windows. I, I've said this before, the thing that just blows my mind, I'm a Rolex guy, and I saw a close-up of a man coming out through a window, a broken window, in the front of a Rolex store, and he was carrying those blue, dark blue Rolex boxes. Well, I know what's in them. A Rolex president, a $40,000 watch, and he had two of them. 
nothing done to any of those people. So why would we expect the FBI director to have his people follow up, even getting with the local authorities to arrest those protesters because they're violating federal law? I mean, we're almost, and I don't want to scare you, and I don't want to sound like I'm screaming the sky is falling. We are close to living in a state of anarchy. Our law enforcement people don't want to do anything that they're supposed to do. Look at the southern border. Look what Alejandro Mayorkas and Joe Biden are not just allowing to happen, they are encouraging it to happen. Two million illegals that we know about this year? Two million. We don't have any idea who number among those two million. How many of them are terrorists? How many of them are sexual criminals? How many of them have been convicted, even convicted and sentenced in the United States, but they get away and go back to Mexico to try to come back? When you've got not thousands, but several millions of people that are illegals, every one of them, when a person steps on U.S. soil without having an invitation from the federal government to do so, they're criminals, every one of them. So we got 2 million plus in just one year. The Biden administration, vapid, not doing a thing about it. One last thing before we go, I wanted to bring you up to date on that December 6th runoff election between Senator Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker. Warnock's in big trouble in that race. He earns a $7,400 monthly housing allowance from his church. The low-income apartment building his church owns is reportedly threatening to evict tenants for as little as $192 in unpaid rent. He is the epitome of a guy that should not be in the Senate. He doesn't do a job that he was hired to do, and when he does it, it's all about dollars and cents. That's his history. All he is in that short two years that he has served as U.S. Senator for Georgia, the state of Georgia, is rubber stamp every piece of legislation that Democrats put in front of him. That's pretty much all he does. And for you, maybe that's a good thing. For me, not so much. Well, gosh, with all of that, (laughs) we need to smile. Have a great day. It's so important to make someone happy. Make just one someone happy. Make just one heart to heart you. You sing to one smile that cheers you. One face that lights when it nears you. One girl you're you're everything to fame if you win it comes and goes in a minute where's the real stuff in life to cling to love is the answer someone to love is the answer once you found her 